see you. Good to see you. Sunday. No, it's a Sunday morning. Yes, it is a Sunday morning. <laughs> Someone left a screw there. Yeah. <laughs> what, a great, what a great double act we'd make. Uh, thanks, Daphne and Alan, for leading worship today. Our normal worship leader is otherwise engaged. Uh, you may have heard that Laufey, uh well, Laufey didn't, but Zam <laughs> gave birth to a little girl on Thursday uh, and... Uh, Four pound eight ounces, which is itty bitty tiny whiny. Um, but uh, I spoke with them yesterday, and Lalpi said, "Oh, he said we had a really rough night. The baby wouldn't stop crying." I said, "Suck it up, buddy. <laughs> That's what babies do." So it, it, it seemed as though uh, they were like deer in a headlight. Uh, they don't know what on earth just happened. We have this... I know, I know. But uh, um, so they're going to likely to be in hospital until Monday, uh, and then they'll come out. So I said to him, look, we'll give you a bit of space uh, for the time being, but when you come out, let us know what you need, and we, we can organize food and and meals and that sort of thing. So I will let you know when they uh, let us know. But it's, uh, it's wonderful. Good, good, good news. All right. So we have a couple of things coming up. We have camp coming up, uh, as Daphne mentioned. Uh, we still need uh, donations. So not, we still got to bring in loads of boxes, big boxes, and uh, those rolls from the uh, kitchen towels. We, we need those as well, so we've got to build big things with, uh, or the kids have got to build big things. Uh, the other thing that's coming up is postcards during August every year. Uh, you get your turn to share what God has been saying to you uh, over this year. Now, my memory is getting really bad. Now, some of you have already come up to me and said, Trevor, yeah, I'd like to share uh, in August. You know what, guys? Could you email me? <laughs> Because I've forgotten who said that. Uh, and uh, so, yeah. So can you just email me and email me uh, if there's any dates in August you can't uh, speak. And then I can work a schedule together. So that would be great. Thank you very much. Um, we started a brief series last week looking uh, at something I'm going to tell you about in a minute. But I gave you a warning. I gave you a warning about this series, and it was this. The following series contains passages that may evoke tears, laughter, joy, pain, and intense vulnerability, and is not suitable for the emotionally challenged, the British, and most Canadians, except those in Quebec. Congregation discretion advised. We are going to be getting emotional in July. We're getting in touch with our French-Canadian side because for the month of July, we are looking at songs, songs for the summer. Songs play a huge part in our lives. Songs are all around us. There's, and here's the thing about songs. They stir our emotions, whether you're reclining 
and losing yourself in a Bach violin concerto in A minor, whatever that may be, or having a romantic candlelit dinner listening to Michael Bublé, or strutting around the living room to staying alive by the Bee Gees, or becoming totally depressed by listening to Pink Floyd. Songs touch us at the deep emotional level. Because I guess that's what songs are meant to do. The songwriters want his or her song to resonate with others, to connect with others, to touch hearts. That's why songs are important. So for the month of July, we're going to look at some songs that stir our emotions, songs for the summer. But these songs won't be found in the Gospel according to St. Elton John or the Apostle written by the Apostle Paul of Simon. These songs are actually found in here, and they're written many, many centuries ago. The book of Psalms contains 150 songs, songs that stir the same emotions that we feel when we listen to modern day songs today. The same emotions that the readers 3,000 years ago felt. These songs, these Psalms are as relevant today as when they were first written. And last week we looked at a song that stirs the deepest desire in each and every heart, the desire for intimacy, intimacy with the living God, intimacy with our Creator, our Heavenly Father. It was a love song that's yearning for that relationship. Well, this week we're going to get all weepy and reflective Because we are looking at sad songs, songs for the struggler. As much as there are songs about love, and there's tons of songs about love, there are also songs that are sad songs. Songs that talk about heartache and pain and grief and lost love and loneliness I found a list of the top 10 saddest songs in history. Here's the top five. The fifth one was Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here. That's that's sad in itself. Apparently it was written about a former band member who died. And uh, it was sort of reflecting on, on that person, saying, I wish you were here. Number four, there's two Beatles songs in the top five. Number four was Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby, all those lonely people, where do they all come from? It's a very depressing song if you look at the words. The other Beatles song in the top five was Yesterday. It's that reflection on yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, how I dream of yesterday. Number two was a more modern one. It was Adele, Someone Like You. That was a sad song because she's talking about a lost love, someone who's gone off with somebody else. And uh, the number one, the number one saddest song, some of you may know it, is Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton uh, that he wrote about his boy, his son, who died, uh, 
at a young age, a tragic accident. And uh, he wrote that song. That's the saddest song. Why do we like sad songs? It's funny, isn't it? Why do we listen to sad songs? Well, I read an article this week in Psychology Today. I don't read many of those. But I read about uh, this very question. And studies suggest that we listen to sad songs because we yearn for connection. We, when we listen to sad songs, we feel connected as, as though we're actually not alone. The words seem to mirror our own struggles or give voice to our own feelings of sadness. And we can identify with them. So when Adele sings Someone Like You, we, we identify with the feelings of a of breakup. A painful breakup and rejection. And when Eric Clapton sings Tears in Heaven, we remember the grief maybe of losing someone really close to us. Sad songs connect us and help us to process our own emotions. In the book of Psalms, there are many sad songs. They're known as the Psalms of Lament. In fact, 70% of the Psalms our laments, which in itself actually should encourage us, especially for those of us who are struggling. You see, when we come here on a Sunday morning, we may not actually be in a joyful place. There may be something going on in our lives at the moment that's causing us to struggle, and, and we may walk through these doors with a heavy heart. We might want to worship God and we, and we may sing the songs, we might listen to the sermon and hear God's word, but we still leave feeling empty, still feel that God is distant and, and we walk out of here still feeling maybe pain and hopelessness. And maybe you wonder as you look around, is that just me? Does anyone else identify with how I'm feeling today because everyone else looks great well I'm going to read you the words of a song this morning which will show us that it it's actually okay to feel like that it's okay to be a struggler here this morning because the God we believe in and follow calls us to worship with an authentic heart listen to these words. Psalm 42. If you want to, you can follow it along with me in your Bibles. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I remember how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers, they've swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to the God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That is such a raw song. You hear the pain, don't you, of the writer in those words? And maybe they resonate with us because at some time or another, we will go through struggles, real struggles, and find ourselves in what? what we know as a spiritual desert. You may be going through it right now. You may know of someone in your life who's going through these times right now. They will come. And this song, this psalm, identifies with us. It speaks to us in our despair, but it, but it also gives us a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of light. As we look at this song and we look into the heart of the writer, into the very soul of the writer, we're going to see that his heart is torn in three ways. That he has a heart that is downcast, a heart that is disturbed, and yet a heart that is hopeful. So, This psalm, Psalm 42, is a a song of lament. It's a psalm of lament. And although we don't know when it was actually written, it was probably penned during the time of, uh, during the exile of God's people. The exile of God's people occurred 587 BC. So the army uh, of Babylon carried them away. And not only did they carry them away from their homelands, They destroyed the most sacred and holy place in all of Jerusalem, the temple. That was the place that represented the presence of God among his people. And so it was against that historical backdrop that the writer, the psalmist, writes this song, this sad song. And the first thing that we see is that his heart is downcast. Look at verse 1. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? 
you get the sense that the psalmist is thirsty for God. He's desperate for God to come to him. But you see, this analogy is much more than just needing God's life-giving water. What he's wanting here, he wants God to hide him away from all of his troubles. Let me explain. When a deer is weary from being chased, he's tired. His last refuge is water. What he'll do is he'll descend down the stream and he'll swim into the middle of the stream. And then he'll lie there with just his nose poking out. Just his nose uh, above the water. Because they're, all they're wanting to do is to hide away. To get away from all the troubles that are pursuing them. In other words, it's not only to quench the thirst, it's also for refuge and rest. So the, the writer's saying, I'm tired. I'm tired and I'm struggling with life. And I just want to hide away. God, will you hide me from my problems? Ever wanted to do that? Ever wanted to just stay in bed, pull the covers over your head, and hope everything goes away? People who go through depression are like that. They can't get out of bed. They can't or they don't want to get out of bed because once you're out of bed, you have to face up to issues. And the writer here, I mean, is dry. He's dry. He's empty. Dry spiritually. Look at verse 3. It says, My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? Instead of receiving refreshing streams of living water, this writer is living off salty tears. That's all that he has. He feels downcast and alone. And it, it's clear that it's not that he's just having a bad day. You know, some of us just have a bad day. No, no, no. This is going to the depth of his soul. This despair goes to the heart of his being. Again and again in this song, he, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? I want you to notice that this guy actually isn't just some on-the-fringe anonymous worshipper. He's actually a big cheese. It says at the beginning of the psalm, uh, that introduces the psalm, that the writer is one of the sons of Korah. Korah. And uh, they were special Levites. Levites who had temple responsibilities as temple musicians. He was a worship leader. He was part of the worship band. He had led worship in the temple. Led people to praise God. That's what he remembers in verse 4. I remember that time when I used to lead people in worship. He's had wonderful experiences in the presence of God. But now, 
God seems so distant. You know, maybe some of us have had great times in the past worshipping God. Maybe you've been coming here for years and you sing songs and you hear God's words and it's been great. But now, you feel as if you're a million miles away from God. And it can be the same for those who you look up to as well. It can be the same for leaders. They're not immune from this. They can struggle with this. No one is exempt from times of struggle. Times when God seems miles away. Times when instead of joy, you just feel pain. Times when instead of hope, you just feel with hopelessness. Times when instead of being filled with God's love and mercy, we just feel totally and utterly empty. That's why all of us need to hear this sad song. To recognize that actually we're not alone. If you're going through that now. So the writer has a heart that's downcast. Then we see that his heart is also disturbed. Verse 5 says, Why so disturbed within me? This Hebrew word is translated um, troubled or in turmoil. Why, Why is my soul in turmoil? The word actually has a sense of thundering or roaring, which actually fits in well with with verse 7 when he says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfall. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. It's a picture really of the writer just being swept away in the turmoil he's facing. He's totally overwhelmed with life. He's drowning in life. And, and like a drowning man, he's trying to keep himself afloat. It's what you do, isn't it? And so we see in verse 8, he says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. It, it looks like he's trying to pull himself up. He's trying to remember that he, God's with him and that he can praise God. But then he just goes back under again. Because in verse 9 it says, I say to God, my, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why, why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer. Moral agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, so where is your God now? You... Can you, you get the sense of this guy's disturbed and troubled heart? He's all over the place with his emotions. He's thrashing around desperately, trying to find a way out of his turmoil. But I think he's in turmoil because ultimately he feels abandoned. He feels forgotten. Where is his God? I was thinking about this. You know what? Being forgotten must be one of the worst feelings that you can have. Being forgotten and rejected hurts more than physical pain. 
being forgotten eats away at us, doesn't it? Eats away at our self-esteem and our worth. When our kids were younger, uh, back in England, we, we used to forget one or two of them every now and again. <laughs> and quite often, uh, um, come home on a Sunday, there was one time I remember, we came home on a Sunday, and uh, everyone sort of went in the house, and it was all a bit chaotic, and uh, we got a call, and someone from church said, have you forgotten anything? He said, no, I don't think so. What about your youngest daughter? <laughs> and we had left Bethany. We had forgotten Bethany. And I always remember, we, I drove back over to the church, and there was Bethany there, and she had been crying. And she was about five, and she looked at me and she said, Dad, you forgot me. And it went to the core of her being. I think she's probably still having therapy now. (laughs) But her little face, her little face, it's horrible being forgotten. The psalmist wants to know why God seems to have thrown him aside. He said, look, I'm a worship leader. I've served you. I've praised you in the temple. I've sung songs about your goodness. I've sung songs boasting that you can do anything. I've done the worship slides every week. I've looked after the sound. I've made the coffee. And then in the moment I need you, You're not there. Where are you? And the writer, like my Bethany, feels abandoned and forgotten. Does that ever happen to us? Surely not. Because if it does, it means that we're actually not strong Christians. We don't have a strong faith because if we did... We would never think that about God. I mentioned to you before that between September 2006 and September 2007, so for that year I'd experienced a period of my life similar to what this writer of the song is talking about. During that year I slipped into and out of periods of deep depression. I graduated from Regent, and I was primed to take on the world. I was doing some work at First Baptist, and they were going to create a position for me there, but it didn't come to pass. And I'd got in touch with another couple of churches, and they seemed really interested. It looked like a good fit, and uh, God closed the door on both of those. Nothing happened. At the same time, the rental house that we'd been living in for four years was to be sold, And we felt God saying to us, you know what, put an offer in and you can buy this house. And several supernatural coincidences happened. We thought, yes, this is it. So we put the offer in and it was rejected and the house was sold and we had to move. We found another house to rent and began to settle in. But within a few months, the old owners told us, We need to leave because they wanted to tear it down. 
So we had to move again. At this point, I was panting for God. But the waves were just crashing in on me. The worst feeling in all of this was I couldn't see God anywhere. People were saying to me, you're going through it for a reason. I didn't see God. I couldn't see God. Linda was also suffering. She remembers cycling home from work one day and saying to God that she didn't feel as though she could cope anymore and begged God to give us some good news. When she walked through the door, I had to tell her that the dentist had found a tumor in Amy's mouth and she would have to have expensive surgery. At that point, we couldn't pray. We couldn't worship. Both Linda and I would go to church, and Linda would cry. Not because of the presence of God, but because of the absence of God. I remember one particular time we didn't feel like going to church, so we had church at home. Everyone was sitting down, and they were expecting me to say something. And I just broke down. I just broke down and cried. I had nothing. I had nothing to give. And then I read Psalm 22, which says, Why have you forsaken me? I cry out to you day and night, and you don't answer me. And in hindsight, I think I told my kids one of the most important lessons they've heard from me. It's okay. To cry out to God. It's okay to wonder where he is. It's okay to sing sad songs. It's okay to be real. You know, it's hard, isn't it, to leave our troubles at the door of the church as we come in. But so often we feel as though that's exactly what we have to do. We feel that to admit that we're struggling, we're not coping is to let the side down, especially if we admit it to God. So what we do is we try to lose ourselves in worship for a while, pretend. But it's still empty, still ineffective, because we're putting on an act. And if you hear nothing else this morning, dear friends, this is what you need to hear. God is reminding us that true Worship has to be honest. True worship has to be authentic. It's easy to overlook, but this psalm, with all its questions and accusations, is actually worship. In the title, we're told that this outpouring of a downcast and disturbed soul was written for the director of music. This lament was meant to be sung. And it has been sung in temples and churches for 3,000 years. To pour out your soul in all honesty before God is worship. And this sad song is as much worship as the praise him on the trumpet type of song. So there's no need for a brave face. If tears are all that you can manage this morning then your tears are your worship. 
If what you need to say to God this morning is, why have you forgotten me? Or why have you rejected me? Then that's your worship. Pour out your heart and soul before him. True worship can only happen when we begin to be completely honest before him. So this song reveals a downcast heart and it reveals a disturbed heart and yet it leaves us with a chink of light, a hopeful heart. There's a verse that's repeated twice in this song, once in the middle and once in the end, and it's this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. I can't praise him now, but I will yet praise him because he is my savior and my God. You see, the writer, he's talking to himself here, isn't he? He's holding on with his fingertips to this glimmer of hope, even though he's in the wilderness, even though he's struggling to find water in this spiritual desert, he knows that his only hope to get out of this is actually God. Nothing he can do himself, the writer, will get him out of the situation. He needs ultimately the presence and help of God, his saviour, his rescuer. I remember when my kids were young, you know, Those of you who have kids, you you know this. You've got one of them in your arms, and the other one wants to come up, doesn't she? Doesn't he? I had this a lot with with my kids. They saw me pick one up, and they would want, and they would stand there, and they would go up on their tiptoes, and they'd say, Daddy, Daddy, pick me up, pick me up. It's a wonderful picture. And as hard as they tried, they couldn't get up to you, could they? It was only when I bent down and picked up the child that they could feel my hug as I carried them. And then what would happen is they'd throw their chubby little arms around your neck and they'd hold on tight. You know, that's a wonderful picture of how we are sometimes when we're so desperate to get to God, when we're struggling big time and he doesn't seem anywhere around and we're saying, Daddy, Daddy, pick me up. And he bends down and he lifts us up himself. You see, the great thing about our God is that he meets us where we are. He just asks us to be honest. So if we're struggling this morning, if our heart is downcast, if our heart is disturbed, then sing a sad song. And the God that we hope in 
will come and meet us in that song. Let's pray. Why am I so downcast? Why am I so disturbed? Where's your heart today? What are you bringing to God in worship today? Are you bringing a joyful heart? Praise God. If you're bringing your tears... Thank God that he will meet you in those tears. If your heart is full of fear or worry or anxiousness about the coming week, the coming month, the coming year, bring that, bring that to God and allow him to meet you in the middle of of your struggle. Put your hope in God and you will yet praise him.